0: Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bueri, and as always, I'm with an advocate for better disaster policy, Dr. Lucy Jones. When the ground shakes, thousands of people just like you turn to Dr. Jones for an explanation of what happened and that sense of calm that everything's gonna be okay. Since she retired from federal service back in 2016, she's continued to be that voice in the aftermath of disaster, whether an earthquake, an ice storm, or during this pandemic. Through her nonprofit, the Dr. Lucy Jones Center, she's able to continue this work. Would you consider sponsoring it, including this podcast, for as little as $5 a month? Because with your support, she can continue to provide this service and support for you. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now let's get to it. In the last two weeks, large swaths of the U.S. have received an extreme winter weather event, and we've seen it played out in two different ways. On one hand, we've seen parts of the Midwest and Southeast that were blasted with freezing temperatures and were affected only in the moment of the actual event. On the other hand, we have Texas, which, as of this recording, is still reeling from the lack of water, power, and basic necessities. Texas didn't get it worse than the other states. The circumstances we're seeing unfold is the choice made by state leaders.
1: Well, any failure of a complex infrastructure system like we've seen in Texas has multiple factors that contribute to the failures. It is very clear that the choice to separate Texas from the larger electric grid of the United States reduced their resilience, and their market approach did not include planning for uncommon events.
0: You know, this immediately reminds me of the idea of why we have government to begin with, especially in a disaster. I don't know if you remember back in the 17th century, Lucy, (laughs) John Locke, the philosopher, made sort of some sweeping statements about government. And I think we've accepted one of the things he said early on, many hundreds of years ago, that the primary function of government is to protect people and property.
1: But when it comes to disasters, this is harder. You know, we used to think of disasters as completely unpredictable. Who could have known? Or perhaps that this was God punishing us for for being bad. And that's not something that government could prevent.
0: Yet today though, we blame government when things go wrong in a disaster. There's an expectation of government intervention in a time of crisis. And then I recall in your book, Lucy, you talked about how this wasn't always the case in the US.
1: This is absolutely an evolving desire to have government play this role. Back in the 19th century and even into the 20th, we saw government as not having a role in disasters, that it was morally wrong to take money that was collected from everyone through taxes and give it to an individual as disaster response. So when we had the massive 1927 flood on the Mississippi River, hundreds of thousands of people completely lost their homes. We gave no aid whatsoever. But that process of seeing so many people suffer started to change the way we were thinking about it. And so we started giving aid to individuals and communities when a disaster struck. But we still left it to them to decide how to get ready for the disaster. And so we ended up being in the place of subsidizing bad decisions.
0: And that's where government regulation comes in.
1: Right. And so, you know, when we think about what do we want government to do, how should government protect us? We can philosophically ask, for instance, should the government prevent someone else from killing me? Most of us say, yep, absolutely. That's what we want government to do. In a disaster, that becomes keeping people from creating structures or systems that end up killing you. So, A common approach to regulation around disasters is to say that you get to make whatever financial decisions, however ill-advised they might be, but you can't kill someone in the process. So for instance, we have building codes that are supposed to prevent your building from collapsing and killing someone who's in it, but allow you to create it in such a way that it's going to be a total financial loss when the disaster happens.
0: So let's imagine for a moment that we're all in agreement that we want some level of regulation. What are the considerations, as you see it, that could lead to appropriate regulation to allow us to get through the next disaster, be it extreme weather, an earthquake, or even the next pandemic?
1: I believe we need to start by recognizing that it is impossible to make something safe. We can make things safer. We can make them less safe. But an engineer is never going to tell you this is 100% safe. So what we need to do is to decide what level of unlikelihood are we willing to go out to? Are we trying to deal with the type of earthquake that happens every decade? Yes. Are we willing to think about the earthquake that only happens once every few hundred thousand years? Probably not. We need to make that decision. How far out are we going to go? And we need to then use science to understand what that means. So, if we can't make everything
0: 100% safe, you know, eliminate 100% of the risk, what can actually be done that makes the regulation worthwhile on the time scale that's worth considering?
1: We need to decide what are our objectives. Currently, most regulation says we should minimize life loss, government's trying to keep people from killing you, and minimize short term expense. Some engineers and others in this realm are now suggesting. We should minimize life loss, but then minimize total cost. Think about those other factors than just the damage to the building. What about tenants who lose their store? What about neighbors that can't use their building when yours is destroyed? What happens with neighborhood blight? Those sort of things. We also need to think about what we mean when we say prevent loss of life. Is that just during the event? That's the way we treat it now. And that is where we emotionally go. But there are risks to lives that happen because of the disruption to the economy. There's just a new study that showed that the rate of suicides goes up in counties that have suffered a major disaster for the next three years. So I think we need to be a little more expansive of saying both what financial costs are we trying to prevent and what life loss we're trying to prevent.
0: So what do regular people who are listening, from scientists to business people and just about anybody not in a government position that can actually change a policy right now, how can they take this information and use it so that we can actually do something but we don't get over-regulated?
1: Well, I think it's important to, to not be black and white. Don't just say, I don't want government regulation. I'm pretty sure you want to not be murdered, right? So we accept some level of government regulation. And we need to be more conscious about what it is that we want to see regulated. And you know, think about it and discuss it with other people. If we could, as a community, hold our government accountable to give us what we want in times of crisis, but also recognize that if we want government to help us after the event, for the health of our society, We need to be doing something about preventing the losses in the first place. So regulation doesn't have to be a bad word or a bad thing. In times of
0: extreme events, which are happening more frequently in this age of climate change, as we're seeing in this moment, but also in the face of another pandemic, potentially, the better regulated our key community functions are to manage that disaster, the better off we all are. As a community, we really have to weigh the costs and benefits. And think on a longer timescale, perhaps, than just the days ahead of us, which unfortunately is where most of us are only able to look. This could be hard for many people. Thinking about the unknown taps right into our fears, Lucy, that you've
1: always talked about. Well, right. We know that uncertainty always increases fear, and the future is by definition uncertain. You know, science can reduce but not eliminate some of that uncertainty.
0: Let's end on that note with science as our way forward. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become one of those key sponsors at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.